Good evening and welcome to Mouthful Smart Talk about food, wine, farming, and more here in Sonoma County and beyond. Yes, it is Michelle Anna Jordan live in the studio. It's great to be back. Um, I took a hiatus from Mouthful um, because I was doing something that became increasingly important as the days and weeks unfolded. I worked for the census. It was very interesting and... um, I ran arch- we ran archives of Mouthful for about five or six weeks as the work intensified, and it intensified for a number of reasons. And I may actually do an episode about the census, or at least a segment, uh, after it's settled in and the results are in, that sort of thing, because I have an insider's look, and it was fascinating this year. Um, but for now, we are going to turn back to the topics that Mouthful explores, and we have a very special guest. Um, she is near Taos, New Mexico. She used to live in Sonoma County. Her name is Annabelle Asher. Annabelle, welcome to Mouthful. Thanks for having me. You have some nice sound effects there. I think I heard a kitty cat. You did. He's complaining. <laughs> he doesn't like it because you're sitting in one spot, so he can curl up on your lap for a while? Oh, he will, but then he'll jump down again, and then he'll jump back up again. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, a typical cat. Well, Annabelle, Because he's a cat. <laughs> exactly. When did you move to Taos? Five years ago, after almost 40 years in Sonoma County. And at the time you left, what were you doing in Sonoma County? I was writing, but... Just, you know, trying to get uh, established on Kindle, which still hasn't quite happened yet, but I'm still writing, so Mm -hmm. this is good. And you were doing, you did something called the Frugal Gourmet, right? Frugal Goddess. Frugal frugal Goddess, okay. it, It has a lot of different parts because there's hardly any part of a person's life where you can't apply these ideas, and uh, I I'm really working on that again because of what's happened in the last seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. It's time for the frugal goddess to reappear. I agree. As people adjust to what's going on. Yes, I agree. Well, let's um, let's start with why you chose Taos, why you chose to leave Sonoma County, and why Taos ended up being your uh, destination. Well, I came into a small amount of money. A lot of inheritances aren't that big. And I was priced out. I didn't want to be a housemaid anymore after, you know, all the time I'd been in Sonoma County. I more or less shared a place, and Mm -hmm. I wanted to buy a house, but I couldn't do it there. So I looked all over the place. And Taos is, it doesn't have earthquakes, doesn't have hurricanes, it doesn't have tornadoes. Uh, Where I live, there's not much chance of fire because it's all sage out on the mesa. Uh-huh. How far from it town? It has a long tradition, and strangely enough, there's kind of a similarity in the people here. Not not the old school Taosanos, but there are a lot of uh, natural practitioners and you know little clothes shops that could be dropped down in Sebastopol, and nobody would know any different. Uh-huh. So it felt homey that way. 
Interesting. How how far from actual town are you? I am 27 miles. Oh, you're a ways out. And you live in a place that you've um, fixed up yourself, right? Uh, yes. And when I bought it, the floors in one room were still dirt. There was no plaster on the walls. And But the price, I mean, if you look at a house like this, it's 70000 to buy it, and then I had to put some into it to fix it up. But you couldn't do that in Sonoma County. No, you'd uh, you know for pe- <laughs> people buy close. things for seven hundred thousand and then tear down the house. Exactly as they've done so many times. I, I know that's probably what happened to my parents' old place up on um, what's the name of that? It's up in the hills above Sebastopol, and I'm sure that they tore it down, even though it was a nice house. <laughs> yeah, that's it's so. happening way too much here. Um, When you first moved there, did you know you were going to be um, buying or uh, acquiring Taos Magazine? I thought about it before I actually got here because I was looking around for businesses on uh, biz.net or whatever it's called, buy buy a biz, and uh, it was the only thing that came close to what I would be interested in. And it's been a crazy five years publishing the magazine, but the problem now is, I can't really print it for various reasons around the virus. Right. One of them being that everybody dropped advertising in March, all of them. Everybody. And they're slowly oh. coming back. But uh-huh. it's not like they all rushed back in again as soon as they opened up. Nobody knows if they're going to be able to stay open. Sure. And a lot of them got very uh, depleted financially during that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm... Publishing online and selling ads so inexpensively that they don't have to think about it. Yeah, and you, we'll work it out. Uh huh. When, when was it's not the same as print? No. I when like was print, the last print? Print. When was the last print issue? March. March. And it was so sudden. I mean, I didn't even get them all distributed before everything closed down. Right. I was just in my second delivery, and I had five thousand copies, and I still maybe have a thousand left. I just couldn't put them anywhere there was no place right how are things now when it comes to the virus in in that area oh we are spiking and you wouldn't think of it because a lot of people think they can go to a little town like taos and it's going to be safe or even out here on the mesa where we have a thousand people over maybe you know uh in a 30 square mile area Mm -hmm. so there you know it's low density but the problem is the tourists they yes. come from Texas and Oklahoma and Arizona, and since they don't believe in the virus, they won't wear masks, and they get into little altercations with people. So it's spiking, and my answer is to go in as little as possible and stock up. I mean, having a pantry is so important at this point. Absolutely, and we're going to talk about that in just a bit. I just wanted, I want people... Uh, initially to be able to visualize where you are. Um, I have actually never been to Taos myself, so I don't know its size. Um, I love the comparison to Sonoma County and how so many of the little businesses could just be plunked down in Sebastopol. That gives me some um, good uh, visual images uh, of what to expect. I've only been to, I've been to Santa Fe and through Albuquerque, but that's all. It, it gets a little bit different. I'm only about 30 miles from the Colorado border. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 
border territory, and some people go up to Colorado to shop for various things. <laughs> oh, of <laughs> course, yes. But uh, one thing here that's really different is water. That's a big issue for you where you are, isn't it? Yes, because we don't. I don't have a well. I mean, in Sonoma County, the place I lived for the last ten years, I was there had an incredible well. It was in the plain, so it was a really high water table, mm-hmm. and you just never ran out. And it was good, clean water, and, you know, you never even thought about it. But even during the drought, because of the uh, the groundwater. But here, it was, I think, 900 feet to the community well. And that's a huge that's, distance. To yeah, that's huge. Right. You have a cistern, right? Yes. And I actually have 3,000 gallons, which is pretty good, but it's only half full. Because our monsoon didn't happen, not really. It sputtered a few times, and we got maybe two really hard rains. And then it snowed in on uh, September 9th, and that filled up one of them. But it's still less water than I need, so I just take it really easy. I don't overuse water. Mm-hmm. I think about each drop that I use, and I buy drinking water just to be sure that it's clean, because when the cistern gets really low, it's less good to drink. I can't boil it. Uh-huh. But people in the rest of the country don't ever think about things like this. You know, it might be the only place where rainwater is the main source of water that I know of. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um you know, we think about water here in Sonoma County. I'm like you. I have a, a well where I live. It's not great, but it gets the job done when it comes to cooking and cleaning and showering and stuff. But it looks like we may be facing a drought um, this year. Is With the monsoon being so mild, is um, New Mexico looking at a drought? Oh, we are definitely in a drought. Okay. And they don't even know if it's going to be a good snow year, which only affects me because of the water. A really good snow year will fill the cisterns, but other people like to ski. And if there's no snow, then it affects the economy for the entire Taos region. Skiing is a big draw for tourists? That's what they do in the winter. In the summer, we've got art and food and, you know, outdoor recreation and things like that. But in the winter, there's four big ski areas, Taos Ski Valley being the biggest. And if they don't get any snow, they don't hire like they normally do. And I would say about half the people in town work at the ski valley during the wintertime. And it also affects, uh, well, right now we're on half capacity for our hotels and things like that because of the COVID. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just going to be a little bit sketchy. I'm going to say maybe until 2022. You know, I don't know if the drought will break, but... There's a lot of um, difficult situations all happening at once. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, 2020 has uh, brought us a new kind of chaos. It seems <laughs> a mild, well, a mild way to put it. Um, we I can re- learn how to meditate. <laughs> there we Maybe go. Um, I really admire the way you think. And a lot of what you post on social media for us, it's Facebook. Um, you're very thoughtful, and one of the thi- one of the threads 
not literal threads, but one of the themes that you return to over and over again is cooking and cooking during hard times. And you've woven an interesting web about that on your Facebook page on the topic. And it seems to me it also uh, dovetails with the frugal goddess. So I'd like to spend some time exploring your motivation, what you're discovering, um, and what you're doing with those topics. Okay. Well, it does definitely connect with the frugal goddess, but it sort of grew to be its own subject. It's underneath that umbrella, but food is so important that, and also I've got an affinity for it, so it just it grew to be its own subject. And I've always been fascinated with simple down-home cooking, you know, kind of like what we imagine our grandmothers or great-grandmothers. And what some of us still eat, you know, real food, real basic food close to the earth. Yes, kind of like when it was all organic, so we didn't have a special label. Mm -hmm. And I also know that factory food is one of the big pillars for what's going wrong with the planet. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't apply to places that are considered third world so much because they don't have the food supply situation that we do, but we're big consumers, and local food, we've been talking about this for 20 years, but it still only accounts for maybe 2% of what people buy, and I've thought about this a lot, and then, uh, you know, how do we fix it? It has to be more convenient or people won't do it. That's a really good point. You know, and yes, there's a farmer's market, which is probably easier than most people than a, uh, than a, you know, farm share, than a community agriculture share. Right. Because when you get that box, it's relentless. It is. That's a good way to put it. Um, I really admire the way you think and a lot of what you post on social media for us, it's Facebook. Um, you're very thoughtful. And one of the thing, one of the threads not literal threads, but one of the themes that you return to over and over again is cooking and cooking during hard times. And you've woven an interesting web about that on your Facebook page on the topic. And it seems to me it also uh, dovetails with the frugal goddess. So I'd like to spend some time exploring your motivation, what you're discovering, um, and what you're doing with those topics. Okay. It does definitely connect with the frugal goddess, but it sort of grew to be its own subject. It's underneath that umbrella, but food is so important that, and also I've got an affinity for it, so it just, it grew to be its own subject. And I've always been fascinated with simple down-home cooking, you know, kind of like what we imagine our grandmothers or great-grandmothers And what some of us still eat, you know, real food, real basic food close to the earth. Yes, kind of like when it was all organic, so we didn't have a special label. Mm -hmm. And I also know that factory food is one of the big pillars for what's going wrong with the planet. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't apply to places that are considered third world so much because they don't have the food supply situation that we do. But... We're big consumers, and local food, we've been talking about this for 20 years, but it still only accounts for maybe 2% of what people buy. And I've thought about this a lot. And then, 
uh, you know, how do we fix it? It has to be more convenient or people won't do it. That's a really good point. You know, and yes, there's a farmer's market, which is probably easier than most people than a, uh, than a you know, farm share, than a community agriculture share. Right. Because when you get that box, it's relentless. It is. That's a good way to put it. More beets. <laughs> <laughs> and then you think, well, what is this and how am I supposed to cook it? You know, do you have an option to have a, T- a CSA at where you are? There is one up um, up to the north, almost in Colorado, uh-huh. and I think there are a couple of more now, and they're not that, that uh, you know, expensive. But this is a four season area, and of course, after forty years in Sonoma County, it was hard to adjust to. Sure, I mean. The big deal is chilly season, which barely happened this year. Really? I think because of the drought. But uh, normally sometime in mid-August, the big chili cookers come out mm-hmm. and the roasters at, at every big grocery store and even some small ones. And everybody buys up and a good New Mexican freezer has enough chili in it to last all year. And that didn't happen this year? Well, there was some, but it wasn't obvious you know uh-huh. i mean i only saw the roaster a couple of times that's a pretty huge thing to... i think they're just maybe if you went down to hatch that wasn't true but up here i think the drought really did change things mm-hmm. i mean i noticed even that the flowers were all gone out of we have one really nice little outdoor restaurant and they have a beautiful garden normally but it was gone by august oh gosh it just shriveled up. So I know that's probably the factor, and it's not like we can just get water from someplace else, you know. Right. <laughs> well, why don't we just turn on the tap, you know, because that doesn't really work. But uh, back to the idea of cooking for especially people that don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really bothered me was the idea that poor people should eat unhealthy, tasteless food. You know, as if it were some kind of punishment. I agree. It's it's one of the really shameful aspects of uh, our culture right now. And it is true because of the way we do our economic system. If you're on, let's say, SNAP benefits, you're not going to get very much money. You might get $200 a month for a family of three or four. So what do you do with that? You're going to stock up on potatoes and rice and pasta big carb yep because that's what you can afford and i posted something about that on facebook and somebody said well that isn't very healthy and my answer was as follows if you are in that situation and you have to eat every single day or feel the pangs of hunger and that's what you can afford you're that is what you're going to do because let's say you decided to buy chicken and broccoli with that money instead you would only eat for maybe a week out of that month. Exactly. And it's about the calories. When you're at that level, you need a certain number of calories to run your system. You're going to get them the cheapest way you can. So my big thing right now is investigating what forms of protein and produce are the cheapest. What do you find? So that you could actually integrate them in with the pasta and make at least a semi-balanced diet for uh-huh. 30 days. What are you finding that, uh, through your explorations? 
well, of course, it's cabbage and onions and things like that. But those things can be made to taste better, but only if you add a few flavor builders to them. Plain cabbage is just not that great. You know, if you just steam it, it's, I guess, okay in a small quantity. But you need something. So I would buy apples and add a little splash of cider vinegar and maybe a little bit of sugar. And sugar is still pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. So it's not great for you, but it can definitely boost the flavor in some things. It's all about making it taste good enough that you don't feel like you're a prisoner. Right. And, And, you know, steamed cabbage. I had some steamed cabbage at a friend's house a few months ago. It was the first course, and all she did was steam it and add, then finish it with a little bit of red red wine vinegar, a tiny bit of olive oil, salt and pepper. It was so, yes. it was nothing more. It was so delicious. It was really, and, really good. Um, and simple. And so, very simple. Dinner on the table in a few minutes. Um, but you do need you need more than cabbage. Uh, have you looked into legumes and that sort of lentils, that sort of Absolutely. thing? Absolutely. And there are a few people here in Taos that Taos has maybe $5 stores. And it is a poor community. Well, it's kind of an odd community. It has some very, very wealthy people, surprisingly so. I mean, you know super rich, mm-hmm. but they all live out in one little area out towards the ski valley for the most part. But as a rule, it's a poor community. So people would always say, oh, no, we have to have the dollar store because I won't be able to feed myself. And my answer to that is go to the food co-op and buy beans and rice. Yes. And you really will be able to feed yourself. And it couldn't be that much worse than packaged boxes of, you know, mac and cheese that's what they get. At the, I've never been. I've actually never been in a dollar store, so I don't know what kind of food they sell there. <laughs> I'm not really sure myself because I would always go to the food co-op and buy the beans and rice. You know? uh, absolutely. When I do things like buy the cheapest block of cheese I can get and make it last two weeks because it's a condiment. Mm-hmm. You know, and anything else that's a big flavor builder, it can be a condiment, garlic can totally transform what you're eating, but you have to be willing to actually cook it. And I know a lot of people weren't taught how to do that. Yeah, we have a couple of generations of people who cook much less than um, previous generations. And I'm hoping one of the outcomes to COVID might be that more people are learning home cooking. Are you seeing any evidence of that? I am a little bit. Sometimes they like to buy those services where all the meals come packaged. Right. It's like they're afraid somehow to just go to the store and buy the ingredients. And I think a lot of people, maybe millennials, were really messed up by cooking shows that act like it has to look like what they put out. Right. And cooking shows that make, yeah. They're not actually cooking anything. They're just looking at it like it's a movie or something. Yeah, they've made it um, a passive a difficult passive process, you know, you sit on the couch and you watch someone cook because it's hard and you could never do it. And I I think that's been a really bad outcome of sort of an extension of the whole foodie culture uh, gone to an illogical extreme. I think that they're doing that while they're sitting there eating takeout food or something that they microwave from a box. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) 
insane, really. I mean, and I tell people, if you can make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you just assembled your own food. Yeah, there you go. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It's actually, if it tastes good, that's the most important thing because especially if you don't have a lot of money, food might be the only pleasurable thing in your life besides watching Netflix. Yeah, and you can, you know, you can buy a package of corn tortillas. You can get some zucchini in season, which are really cheap. You chop up some zucchini, you saute it, you add some salt and lemon, wrap it up in a hot corn tortilla, and it's actually really delicious. And it takes less time than running through a drive-through. It does. It probably takes less time than microwaving most things. Although I shouldn't say that because I'm microwave illiterate. <laughs> Me too. And proud of it. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't like it. I think even water. I think water heated in a microwave tastes different than water heated um, over heat. And what's wrong with a tea kettle? Yeah. And fire. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yes, absolutely, exactly. So how do you see, do you have long-term goals for um, hard times cooking? I want to make it affordable and so package it so it's really, you know, inexpensive because obviously if you need to know these things, you probably don't have a lot of money, but it just gives me enough to be able to, run into the store and get my little bag every so often. Mm-hmm. Do you see and this being a book, a website? I, I'm writing the book. Oh, you are? Okay, great. Fairly quickly. I, I had a book that was, it had some flaws in it. It was a pretty good book, but it was about how to eat well for less. And this is basically the same thing. But what I figured out is it's a shopping guide and a cookbook. Mm-hmm. Because just a cookbook doesn't really get to how do you, how do you go shopping if you only have, let's say, $80 and you need to get enough food to last for 10 days? How do you even spend that money? Yeah, and so shopping. Yeah. How do you avoid waste? Because if you don't have a lot of money, you need to not waste. Absolutely. And so shop- it's, it's just, it's like you're taking food away from yourself if you're throwing it away. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you plan all that out? So I'm redoing that section and then I'm going to put in recipes that build. I have this idea that if you have a little bit of culinary training, you can, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, I spent two years and, you know, then worked in the business. It's just knowing the little techniques. Mm -hmm. You can actually transform simple ingredients into really good food and fill up your freezer. I totally agree with you. And I have two things to share. One, there is a book written by a woman, and I apologize, I'm not going to remember her name right now. I can see her face. Uh, She lived in Sonoma County for a long time before moving to San Diego. Her first name is Marcy. And she wrote a book, and it was the subtitle had to do with um, feeding a family of four and $5 a day. Did you ever come across that? I didn't. I'm going to find my copy. This idea is yeah. good. Well, I'm going to nope. send you my copy. I hope I can find it. Um, the The foundation of the book was teaching people how to shop. And knowing how to shop, like you just said, that is one of the, I mean, that's at least 50% of feeding yourself is knowing how to shop. So I'm going to, I'm going to find a way to get Marcy Rothman. That was her name, Marcy Rothman. Thank you. Um, 
I think I still have the book, and I will send it to you if I do. Um, the other thing I want to uh, dovetail here is your interest in vintage cooking, because as you've been, you know, looking in this hard times cooking, you're, of course, going back to, you know, earlier times, as you've already mentioned. Um, what are you finding as far as both vintage cooking and reviving some of those dishes? You've mentioned a few on the Facebook page. You know, it it seems like the ones that are from, let's say, the 50s are really revisable. I've been getting kind of obsessed with cream sauces mm-hmm. lately because you can freeze them. You can take take a gallon of milk and turn it all into white sauce and put it in one cup mason jars. I hate plastic, so I'm using jars in the freezer. And then when you need a topping for pizza or you want to make mac and cheese, you just pull one out. And those those sauces were very 1950s. Yes. You know, of course, they relied on Campbell's soup, but you can make the same thing. And if you freeze part of it ahead, it does not take hours and hours. It really doesn't. It's no more time-consuming than, you know, anything else you're going to do. With a mushroom soup, you would just slice the mushrooms in a food processor and saute them and then add them to the cream base. And then you've got a pretty good thing to put in your casseroles. And casseroles are actually really good. You know, they take up leftovers. They taste good. Everybody made fun of them, but... We are not in the same economic situation that we were, let's say, you know, 10 years ago. No, we're not. We're in a much different situation. And one thing with using your freezer, I like that idea about cream sauces. But another thing that you can do um, is if there's, you know, if it's the season or if there's a sale or something. For example, in Sonoma County, now on Fridays and I think Tuesday since COVID, uh, gourmet mushrooms, I'm sure you remember them. They sell three-pound bags of mushrooms to the public at wholesale prices. Three-pound bags of mushrooms are a lot, say, for a family of two, family of three even. It's a lot. But what you can do is saute them all, break them up, slice them, and then you you freeze them in amounts that you would normally use for a single meal. And... Um, sometimes the only onions you can find are big, huge onions. You know, you could make um, spaghetti for 20 or 30 people based on the size <laughs> of the oven. So you do the same thing. A lot of people use the amount of onion that they're going to use, and they end up putting it in the refrigerator, and then four days later they throw it away. So you just chop the whole onion, you saute the whole thing, use what you're going to use, and you put the rest in the freezer. So there's ways to build all kinds of ingredients um, based on when you can get good prices on things. And then um, do a little bit of prep. You know, you can't free, you shouldn't freeze mushrooms raw. Saute them in a little olive oil and you're good to go. You don't even have to make duck cells, but you could if no, you, you do, wanted No, you to. could if you wanted to. But, you know, I just, I was cleaning out my freezer and I was like, oh, what's in this container? And I looked and it's like, oh, that's right. I sliced up all these trumpet royale mushrooms put them in a container and forgot all about them. So I have uh, polenta with <laughs> mushrooms next time I want it. Very treasure. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Um, and anybody could learn how to do this. It's not... No, it's easy. It's not hard. And it's really easy if you have to spend a lot of time at home, as 
a lot of people are these days. It's a great way. Um, it's very sensual, very phys- very very physical way to pass the time, and you get good results from it. And I was thinking about speed. Anyhow, as a as a concept, it seems like it's not necessarily a healthy thing that everything has to go faster and faster. And that's what the convenience foods are offering to mm-hmm. people who don't want to spend a half an hour composing a meal. I know, and you know? I, I find that so odd. It's like, what else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? Sit and play a video game? Watch bad TV? You know, if we organize our lives around feeding ourselves and each other, it just it's a very pleasant way for a day to unfold, I think. And you can do prep ahead on the same day as you shop, if you shop in the morning. And that was one of the things when I first wrote the book um, about eating well for less, was I know that people are really concerned about time as much as they are about money. And I don't want to lie to them and tell them it's just as easy as, you know, spending a dollar and a half at the McDonald's or whatever, because it's probably not exactly just as easy. But it's not hard either. So what if you prepped your onions and your carrots and chopped some things for salad and put them in little containers like restaurants do, but in a smaller quantity? Mm -hmm. You know, so on Wednesday when the kids are screaming and everybody's hungry and, you know, you just got a flat tire, you can just take your greens that you already get prepackaged probably and throw a handful of the other things in it and there's your salad. There you go. You know, you can fix this. It's just... There has to be a little bit of give and take. You have to be willing to put a little bit of effort into it. Right. You no. Know? Right. But and if there... you don't have a lot of money and you need to yeah. eat every day, suddenly it becomes more important <laughs> to learn uh, these things. Yeah, and I think that once people begin to make the shift, there's a lot of reward involved. And some of that reward has to do with feeling good. Oh, I think it pumps up your endorphins, you know. Mm. I think cooking does too, not just eating a good meal. I think that's a really good point Um, because a whole lot, so many of our senses are triggered in ways that we don't even realize as we're smelling, you know, as we're chopping, as we're doing all of the movements that we do in a kitchen. You're impacting yourself on many, many levels. I think it calms people down too. No, oh, uh, totally. It, it, it's possible that kids that are raised in a house where you, somebody cooks every day are actually calmer than, you know, the ones who sit in the car seat waiting for mom to get the pizza. Yeah, I no. think that's a that's a really good point. And I just I you know I feed my grandson. He's now nineteen, but I've always fed him. And the look on his face when I say, "Lucas, would you like would you like some kale and bean soup?" <laughs> I did that the other day. I had kale and bean soup in the the freezer, and he just got the biggest smile on his face, and he loved it. Um, there's myriad rewards. You know, I am a little bit worried about how you break people off the chemicals in the food they have been eating because sometimes to them homemade food doesn't taste right like let's say mayonnaise because it doesn't have the chemicals in it and that's going to take a little bit of doing they have to be willing to understand that what they're craving isn't actually food it's additives 
That's a good point. That's a really good point. And knowing a little bit about nutrition at that point will help because there are certain things that we crave because we need them. And then there's things that we crave because we've gotten used to them. And two of the things that we crave because we need them are fat and salt. Um, those were two items that used to be, you know, as humans were evolving, those two ingredients were hard to get. You know, that's why, you know, you would find animals um, gathered around, say, an outcropping of salt to lick the salt um, because they need it. And we learn to seek fat because it's fat that's responsible for moving uh, hormones um, into our cells and that sort of thing. So, you know, for a while, frugal cooking, not necessarily called frugal cooking, sort of coincided with the finger wagging of you shouldn't eat salt, you shouldn't eat fat, fat's bad for you. And I think that we need to pull back from that so that people, you know, instead of feeling deprived when they're giving up what they're used to, they feel happy because it's delicious and then they have that satisfaction of um, that the nutrients they need uh, provide. This anti-fat thing was absolutely disturbing. And, well, it's uh, the know, fault it, of the sugar industry. You know, the sugar industry was... Um, responsible to some degree in bringing that about in demon in the demonization of fat and that started in the early 70s i was just thinking about that because i ignored it right from the beginning me too <laughs> and i always just bought butter because butter tastes good and it's natural yes and margarine it turns out is full of chemicals so if you're going to get down on fat pick the ones that are actually full of chemicals like margarine and you know uh, regular crisco Oh, right. Yeah. Any short, shortening? That's not good. <laughs> shortening is a trans fat. Margarine until recently was a trans fat. And both of those things function in our body um, as if they were plastics. They don't fun function in our bodies as if they're food and nutrients. And I think that the people like me who just kept on eating real butter probably are healthier at this point. Yes. You know, now that we're in our we are. mid to late 60s. But I, I keep thinking, well, butter is expensive. That's true. But if you keep olive oil on hand and butter and you switch off depending on what you're cooking and just mind it a little bit, you get enough fat in there because fat is one of the things that makes you feel full. Mm -hmm. And if all you have is potatoes and pasta, get some butter, for God's sake. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> you know, spring the, for the five bucks for the good stuff. Yeah, and it it helps with digestion. It helps all of our body's processes. It's so important. If there's any one single fat people should use, just one, it should be butter. And it should be butter to whatever degree is possible that comes from from cows that have been fed on grass. Because basically, butter is sunlight, you know, sunlight transformed into a nutrient that our bodies need. And in that sense, it's sort of magical because it also tastes absolutely delicious. Nature is wise. And it fixes things that are kind of bland and unpleasant. Add a dab of butter. And there you go. <laughs> Makes it better. Julia was right. Add she, butter. <laughs> and I love what she said. If you can't use butter, use cream. <laughs> Which I always smile. That's the other thing I always buy is uh -huh. heavy cream. Heavy cream. And I can make creme fraiche with that so I don't have to buy sour cream. There you go. And it's, I, I well, like creme fraiche. If you can fraiche. double yeah. something up, do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if you you know if you run out of butter, but you have some um, heavy cream, and you really want butter, you make it. It doesn't take long. It, it, you can, five minutes. <laughs> you can actually three minutes and forty four seconds. I, and let me oh tell you, goodness. let me tell you how I know this. I did a talk. I did a presentation about butter at the Cheese Festival in uh, Petaluma a couple of years ago, and I got these butter makers, which are really just little containers with uh, some different things that help it drain and all that. Um, but I had probably 30, 40 people in the room, and they had their containers filled with their three quarters cup of heavy cream at room temperature, and I had tested this at home, and I wanted to play music because I mean if you're just there shaking something vigorously for three or four minutes it can get boring so the song after a while <laughs> yeah the song that I found that was perfect timing and perfect rhythm for making butter is um, Led Zeppelin's rock and roll <laughs> and I had all I had this one woman she had to be at least 75 she was holding the jar over her head rocking out to the song it was so great and you just shake 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 and shake and if you're listening carefully suddenly you hear a thunk and that's when butter forms and it is almost like magic. So uh, in a pinch, you need butter. If you have cream, you've got it. And that is something that anybody on a farm probably 100 years ago would have known. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, here in, Sonoma, here in Sonoma County and anywhere that was dairy co- country uh, 100 years ago before widespread refrigeration or before refrigeration, um, if you had cows... Your product was not milk. Your product was butter because it kept. You would make butter. The way would go, the the milk or the the liquid off the butter would go to feed your pigs, but you would make your money by selling butter. It's an essential farm product. And then World War II came along, and that's when uh, margarine was introduced, and it all went downhill from there. But I want to move on to another topic because we're not done with all the amazing things you do. <laughs> Tell me about your photography. Uh, <laughs> it started just as a hobby. Actually, it started as a hobby when I was maybe eight years old. And there were times when I didn't have a camera for a while, but I always ended up with one. I had a brownie in the beginning. And then I, I had those. a 35 millimeter, and we had film back in those days. I bought that at the pawn shop on 4th Street in Santa Rosa, and I actually wore that camera out. And by the time that camera was dead, it was all digital. So that's a whole other learning curve. Yes. But out here, well, I started by taking the moon every single full moon, unless it's clouded over. And I actually study when it's going to come up, and I know exactly where it's going to come up because I watched carefully a couple of days before. Oh, that's a wonderful project. And then the new moon is harder, because it, it's dark. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, dark night photography is different, and I'm just learning how to set it so I can catch the moon. as You can't even see it as it's setting when it's new. Right. Until it's too dark to get a good picture. So I'm kind of working out that little mathematical conundrum but there's so many other things, and I did get together with a, a person who does photography classes here for a while and learned some of the technology, mm-hmm. because I'm not that great at reading manuals. You're <laughs> so not alone. <laughs> I just have to push buttons. 
Uh-huh. What but kind of camera do do you use now? It's a well. It's it's an older body now. As it turns out, it's a Mark III. It's a 5D Mark III Canon, mm-hmm. and now there's a Mark IV. Mm-hmm. And it suddenly occurred to me I bought it in 2014, and uh, that's you know a, a long time in technology years. God, I guess so, that means my the the uh, Nikon I bought in. 2010 is getting old. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, that was just a minute ago. Exactly. (laughs) So now do you have a... 2010 is not a long time ago. It really really isn't. But uh, I went out and I got a really big lens and then the kit lens, which is a little bit wider. Mm -hmm. But I really want the really big lens. It's just that it's way prohibitive. It's the kind of thing that if you won the lottery, you might be able to buy one, but right. it's a 600. And it's basically for shooting lions, uh, you know, on the savannah uh-huh. when you need to be way far away to get the shot. <laughs> yeah. You're talking about the kind of lens I would like to, but that will have to wait. So do you have a separate yes. website? Do you have a website? Are you selling your photography now? Well, I tried to do it on Shopify, and that didn't really work very well, so... I'm just getting around to building a site just for that, and I'm thinking you could have a standalone site that's not part of a big shopping cart operation like Etsy or Shopify. Mm -hmm. Just build it and then have a way for people to check it out on WooCommerce or something. So I'm going to try to do that because there is incredible scenery here. You know, I used to shoot the ocean a lot and, you know, maybe – the forests, but out here, it's all big vistas with red rock and you know, it's beautiful mountains that are fairly yeah. far away. Yeah, it's a real different kind of beauty, but it's very beautiful. It's like a moonscape at some places. Yes, and it's not that far. I mean, I haven't really been driving out that much because something about this, uh, you know, the condition of the world. Even if you could go driving, and it's not like you're going to interact with other people. You just get kind of slowed down, and mm-hmm. it's harder to get motivated. But an hour's drive from here in any direction, and it's totally different. Mm-hmm. If I go north an hour up into Colorado, there's a sand dune there. It's a national park, and it looks like a white desert. And it's just completely different visually. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And south, you get into Red Rock and then down to Santa Fe, which also has a lot of urban places where you could shoot and get interesting things. And then, of course, in Sonoma County, if you go an hour to the west, you're in the ocean, so you can't do it. But here, I'd probably be pretty close to Farmington, which has uh, the Shiprock. And... The Shiprock has been photographed by everybody at one time or another, but that's no reason not to take a shot at it. There you go. <laughs> Why not? Shiprock. And then there's the I, gorge. The, uh-huh. And the gorge is gorgeous, but a lot of people go to the gorge bridge and they have their little camera and they try to get a good shot, and you can't do it from that angle because you're looking straight down. Where do you have to go? And it just looks like you know, a box canyon that way. But if you go to the south about 20 miles out, there's a spot where you look back and you can get the entire vista, the entire Gorge Valley all the way up. Have you done that yet? 
I did it once, and it was kind of a, a weird, hazy day. Uh-huh. So I'm waiting for a really crystal clear autumn day, and I'm going to go down and Great. take I, that. That sounds like something. Like I'm going to be yeah. encountering other people. Right. So that sounds like something I'd love to that, see. The other thing is fall colors. We get an incredible aspen and cottonwood fall here. Mm-hmm. So I know there's one street in town that is so hev- heavy with trees that it's like a golden passageway right now, and I, I want to go get oh, that. Oh, fo- please photograph that, definitely. Um, I'm curious about indigenous populations in and around uh, Taos. Is there much that you've connected with with indigenous populations? I have, and it took a long time because everything here is slow. I mean, you're not really a Tausenio unless you've been here for three generations. Mm-hmm. You know, new people have been here for 40 years as far as the older cultures. And it's the Pueblo, uh, the Taos Pueblo has been inhabited for something like a thousand years. And they had all the land around here, and then the Hispano came, and they were not Mexicans. They were Spanish mm-hmm. that settled here. So they're very old Spanish families, and they worked it out over a period of time. You know, they didn't necessarily get along well at first, but when the Anglos came, that upset the balance a little bit. So there was a certain amount of mistrust, but I just slowly got to know people and they wanted to be part of the magazine, so anytime that happens, I make a space. Mm-hmm. And I've just learned a lot. Like Thanksgiving, you can't really do that here. I mean, people do, but it's a different kind of a vibe because a lot of the uh, people of the Pueblo don't like Thanksgiving any more than any Native American person would. Understandable. Um, what what you is know, it like there uh, around that holiday? Uh, what's, what I mean, um, I well, if you that. if you do if you do celebrate Thanksgiving or if you don't, is there some sort of alternate festival? Is there something else that goes on at that time of year? Uh, well, I know that traditionally a lot of cultures had a harvest feast, right? So, and that definitely happens, but the feasting on the Pueblo goes on all year. They have a feast day about every six weeks or so of some kind or another, and they use the names of the Catholic saints, but they've got their own take on it. And as I was discussing with a friend of mine who is a Pueblo member, they don't necessarily tell us all about that. It's you know, that's private to them. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But the feasts are public, and you can bet, you know spend fourteen dollars as a as a tourist, go up to the pueblo on a feast day, and walk around and be part of it. But they say, don't clap for the dances because it's, it'll be like clapping for the organist at church. It's not a performance; yes. it's oh. part of a ritual. Oh, interesting. And don't walk into people's houses and start eating their food without being invited. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> they actually had to say that. Really? How weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just amazed. So I understand the reticence. You know, it's like if, if you want to learn about the Pueblo, you talk to people and you pull way back and don't 
Don't push. Yes, you wait to be invited. You listen. You become a good listener. Amazing that, uh, you know, people who think they were brought up right don't know that. (laughs) Yeah, really. Is there anything, I don't know much about Pueblo traditions. Is there anything you can tell us about their foods? Especially, let's just say at this time of year. They were gardening and farming before most other places in North America. They're some of the earliest farmers. Mm -hmm. And they were like the originators of corn, beans, and squash. Ah, three sisters. Yes, and they they also had the chilies, which are, you know, a new world food, and potatoes and things like that. So they actually ate fairly well and not just game. Because they were settled in one place, mm-hmm. and their traditions go way, way back. And then there's fry bread, and there are people here that make incredible fry bread, but I posted about that, and one of my friends who happens to be a member of this Pueblo said, you know, fry bread was made out of the worst ingredients, like bug-infested flour and stale lard, because that's all they, the people had. Mm-hmm. So it has a different meaning for them. And I said, you know, it's really amazing that white people love fry bread, but they like artisanal fry bread made out of the best flour. Exactly. And, you know, olive oil. <laughs> and and salt. Um, this hour has flown by, as it does on Mouthful. Um, I want to go back now just to let people know how to find all the various things that you do. If somebody would like to read Taos Magazine, and, you know, you don't have to live near Taos to find it interesting. Um, how do they find the magazine while it's online? TaosMagazine.com. That's pretty darn easy. <laughs> and I need to update the site because I got really, you know, lazy about it when I wasn't publishing during the first part sure, of this. Sure, of course. Uh, situation, mm-hmm. but I've got a whole bunch of new stuff to put on there, and uh, we're getting into the holiday season, so I'm going to put everything for the local businesses so they can try to survive over this winter. And then the other thing for Annabelle's Hard Times Kitchen is on Facebook. With Just look that up, and it'll pop right up. Annabelle Hard Times Kitchen. There and we go. that is a group and a page, but go for the group. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you just you ask to join and then you admit them, right? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I don't admit people who look like a Russian bot, but everybody else gets it. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> you know, if you have two friends and you've only been on Facebook for five minutes and you know you've joined fifty other groups, I wonder about you. A little bit. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. And for your photography, we can expect a website at some point, And when that happens, you'll announce it on Facebook, and maybe uh, yes, and you'll I tell me about have it. A page for photography on Facebook too. Oh, excellent. It's Annabelle Astor Photography. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, go ahead. I just need to get the site and pay for it, and then build it. Right. You're. Incredibly ambitious and incredibly disciplined. I really admire all your hard work. It's great. Um, I wanted to add two things for people who may have been, um, who I hope have been, had their interest peaked. And you're talking about the vintage cooking and looking back. Uh, for anybody who wants to explore that a little more deeply, there are two books I really recommend. Uh, Perfection Salad 
which traces the movement of the domestic scientists, which took place in New England around the turn of the century. And it's really enlightening. It has so, it says so much about how we eat today. Um, it's a very eye-opening book. And then uh, for a book about the uh, 50s, Something from the Oven, um, and uh, blanking on the author's name, she wrote both books, um, and Something from the Oven sort of picks up right where um, Perfection Salad leaves off. And one of, the one of the things that happened is these domestic scientists who were trying to find a way to elevate women's, women's um, work in the kitchen into something more noble. Uh, they a lot of them went on to work for food companies and develop things like the cake mix. And it's very interesting <laughs> when you read about how they were able to sell the cake mix to American women. When they first did it, um, there was dried egg. You know, you didn't have to add anything. I don't think except water, and women rejected it. They didn't like it. They they thought it was cheating. And so I believe it was Duncan Hines left out the egg. And having to add a fresh egg let housewives of the time feel like they were doing something important. And that is how the cake mix became so popular. <laughs> and that just it that just so seems like something interesting some, to see how we got here. Yeah, and that just seems like that seems to fit with so many of your passions that I just had to mention it. On that note, Annabelle Asher, thank you so much for spending an entire hour with uh, Mouthful. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. I love your work, and I love that you've tuned in to listen. Meet me back here next week for another yummy episode of Mouthful, smart talk about food, wine, and farming in Sonoma County and beyond here on KRCB. FM Radio 91. Have a good week. This land once open and free Well, they got pictures in the museum Of local color that used to be